السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يسبح لله ما في السماوات وما في الأرض الملك القدوس العزيز الحكيم هو الذي بعث في الأميين رسولا منهم يتلو عليهم آياته يتلو عليهم آياته ويزكيهم ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة وَإِنْ كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ وَآخَرِينَ مِنْهُمْ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِيهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ والله ذو الفضل العظيم صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأغضة من لساني يفقه قولي السلام عليكم once again I would like to remind all of you before we begin of what an honor it is for us to be here today Alhamdulillah you know, the, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Prophet has taught us that the best of us, inshallah, are those who get together to study the Qur'an and, and learn the Qur'an and teach it, alhamdulillah. The Prophet said, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ And what? وَعَلَّمَ خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَ But this is a very big honor for us to sacrifice our weekends. I know it's a weekend and you, mashallah, you have families, you have kids, you have... Um, you know, other errands that you want to take care of during the weekend. But you've sacrificed your weekend to come here today, mashallah. Which is, and not to watch a movie or to, you know, go shopping. You've come here to study Quran, to study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's really um, a really big honor and every single one of us should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving us the tawfiq to come here today. Now if you think about it, how many people got the invitation to come here today? Just think about it, right? Thousands of invitations went out, thousands of ads went out, text messages, emails. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you to be here today. So many people wanted to come, but the last minute something came up and they couldn't come. So many people weren't even interested to come. But alhamdulillah for you guys, Allah gave you the tawfiq to come and uh, to spend two hours to study his book, to get closer to him, to connect with the Qur'an. So ask Allah inshallah to put barakah in the time. So Surah Al-Jum'ah, ideally this would have been, uh, you know, it would have been nicer to have this on a Friday, but, you know, the management here said that they don't really open up on Friday. So, anyway, Surah Al-Jum'ah is one of my favorite surahs in the Qur'an. It's um, a Madani surah, and uh, it's surah number 62 in the Mus'haf. If you open the Mus'haf, it's surah number 62. Anyone knows how many ayat are in Surah Al-Jum'ah? Anyone? Yes? 11. 11, very good. So 11 ayat. So it's, it's a pretty 
short surah, you know, uh, but mashallah, the messages and the, uh, the meanings in it are amazing, mashallah. So just to give you a small background on the overall theme, it's very important to understand the overall theme of the surah before we begin. Now the overall theme, this surah fits in a group of surahs which starts from surah Qaf all the way up to surah Al-Tahreem. It's 17 surahs, 7 of which are Mekki and 10 of which are Medani. Okay? 7 are what? 7 are Mekki and 10 are Medani. Now who was the primary audience of Mekki Quran? Who knows? Who was the primary audience? It was the disbelievers. Remember from back in Surah Al-Rahman, the primary audience of um, Meccan Quran is primarily Quraysh and the Meccans, the disbelievers. What about Medina? What about Medina? What do you think, who do you think the primary audience was for Medina? As there was, as it was a very mixed community, right? There was Jews and there was hypocrites and there were Muslims. But primarily this group is actually talking to the believers now. Okay? And both these groups, like so this big group of 17 surahs, they all have one common message. What's that common message? In Indar. Warning. Okay? What's, what's the common message? Can you repeat after me? Warning. Okay, so that's basically the overall theme of all of these surahs. Now in the first part, the seven surahs from the Meccan Quran were warnings to the disbelievers, whereas the ten surahs in the latter part are warnings to the believers. Warnings to believers to wake up. And why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to reveal Quran to remind people to wake up, if, even if they're Muslims? Because what happens to Muslims sometimes? Sometimes Muslims start taking Islam for granted, right? They start relaxing, they start taking it easy. And that's really what, what happened in these surahs. And we'll find out from the, the, one of the reasons of revelation of the surah, what exactly happened with Surah Al-Jum'ah. And what was that story behind Surah Al-Jum'ah. Okay, we'll, we'll study that inshallah later on. But just for you to give an overall, get an overall context of the surah, this is primarily a wake-up call for us Muslims. Okay? Now, the surah before Surah Al-Jum'ah is Surah Al-Saf. Okay? It's surah number 61. And the overall theme of Surah Al-Saf is what was the methodology or what was the mission of the Prophet Sallallahu okay? And it's all summarized in one ayah. هُوَ الَّذِي أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى وَدِينِ الْحَقِّ لِيُظْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ This is like the overall summary of Surah Al-Saf. It answers the question, what? What was the mission of the Prophet ﷺ? But in Surah Al-Jum'ah, see how beautifully it's placed right after Surah Al-Saf? In Surah Al-Jum'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the question, how did the Prophet ﷺ do it? How did he achieve this mission? And that's really the primary objective of the surah, is to explain to us the curriculum. That's why we called it the divine curriculum. This is a curriculum given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the same curriculum that was given to Rasulullah to bring about the change in the society in Mecca and Medina. That change happened over a period of 23 years and the Prophet was able to get amazing results following that curriculum. So the lesson for us in the surah will be if we follow that same curriculum, guess what? Inshallah we'll get similar results. Okay, so inshallah all of you are excited to know what the curriculum is 
and follow it, inshallah. I can't hear you. Yes, yes inshallah. Okay. Try to interact with me so that you don't fall asleep. Okay? So overall, the structure of the surah is broken down into three parts. How many parts? The first part, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in ayah 1 to 4 what the divine curriculum is. What's the first part? Divine curriculum. Okay? Second part, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will talk about a failed nation. And a nation that failed to follow the curriculum and then he tells us what the consequences of that failure was. Okay? That's the second part. That's from ayah number 5 till 8. And then the last three ayat, 9 till 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a practical implementation of this curriculum for us to follow. Okay? Lessons learned from the failed nation and practical lessons for us to implement in our life. So that's the overall structure. Let us inshallah begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So part one, like we said, is the divine curriculum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off by saying, يُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Everything in the heavens and the earth declare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's perfection. That's what the word yusabbihu means. And that's what we say, subhanallah, right? We say subhanallah. What that, that means basically is declaring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's perfection. Okay? Now, what's another interesting thing about this is the root word of yusabbihu is from sibaha or sabaha, which means to swim. And one of the interesting things that the linguists say is just like the swimmer needs to continue swimming to be able to stay afloat over water, similarly we need to continue doing tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to stay spiritually alive. And when we stop doing tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we stop declaring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's perfection, then what happens to us spiritually? We die spiritually. So very, very important reminder for us to constantly, inshallah, do tasbih. The other thing Allah is saying, everything around you is doing tasbih of Allah. The mountains, the birds, the trees, the flowers, the fish underwater, the stars, the planets. Everything is doing tasbih except for who? Except for the human being. The human being is busy with other things. SubhanAllah. So there's a big uh, you know, wake-up call for us also. Is Allah is saying, everything is doing tasbih. What about you? Why aren't you doing tasbih? Why aren't you in sync with the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why aren't you in harmony with everything else I've created? And then Allah mentions four of His beautiful names. Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, Al-Aziz, Al-Hakim. Now Al-Malik... Basically, basically means the king or the authority or the owner. Okay? Someone who has authority. Al-Quddus is the source of all purity. Al-Aziz is someone who has authority and respect. Both together. Because you know, in this dunya there are people who have authority. But do they necessarily have respect? Yes? No. And at the same time there are people who have respect but do they have authority? No. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has both. He has authority and he has respect. And the last name is Al-Hakim, which means the constantly wise. Constantly wise. Okay? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets into the core subject matter. Let's take, let's take this ayah uh, or this portion of the ayah separately first. He is the one who has sent to the Ummiyin a messenger from among them. 
Okay, now let's understand what the word Ummiyin means. It's, it comes from the root word Um, which means basically someone who cannot read or write, the unlettered people. And why do they call it Ummiyin? Because just like we all, when we were born in our, from our mother's wombs, right, could we read or write? So similarly, the Ummi is someone who cannot read or write. It's as if he's just recently born. The other meaning of Ummiyin is also the Arabs. Because the Arabs were known to be people who couldn't read or write. So they were known as the Ummiyin. And the third meaning of Ummiyin is other nations. Now this applies to the Jews, Bani Israel. And we'll talk about Bani Israel a lot in the surah. Now Bani Israel, what's interesting about them is they thought they were the chosen people. They were the special people. And everyone else are the Ummiyin. Everyone else are not the chosen people. We are the special people. They had an ego issue. They, were, they had a pride in their lineage. And so they felt that every, everyone else was Ummiyin. So they used to insult the Arabs. You are just Ummiyin. You don't have, you don't have uh, the lineage we have. And you know, the, the Jews, they were proud of knowledge and lineage. Okay? They were proud that they had the Torah, they, they had the book of Musa السلام, with them. They were proud of the knowledge of the rabbis. They were proud of the fact that they were from the sulala of Banu Ishaq, from the lineage of Ishaq السلام. Whereas the Prophet السلام, was from which lineage? The son of, sons of Ismail السلام. So that was also one of the primary reasons they rejected the message of Rasulullah So when Allah says, those Ummiyin that you are actually making fun of, Allah decided to send a messenger to them. And guess what? Not only that, the messenger sent to them was also from, wasn't also an Ummiyin. So it was like the insult that the Jews were insulting the Ummiyin with, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed that into an honor. It was actually an honor for the Ummiyin that the Prophet was chosen from amongst them to be a messenger for them. Is that clear so far? Yes? All of you with me? Nobody sleeping in the back? Sure? Okay. Now, what's amazing about the Ummiyin is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, being someone who could not read or write, he brought about such an amazing change over the period of 23 years. And just to give you an idea about the difference between speaking and reading. Let's say, for example, I just went behind this room and I opened up a Shakespeare book and I started reading. The people who know me in this room what will you immediately notice? What will you notice? Are these my words or no? You'll notice that these aren't my words because you already know me. You know that I'm reading off of a book. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ, he was for 40 years one of the people of Quraysh, right? One of the people of Mecca for 40 years. He only became a prophet at the age of 40. So people knew him before he was a prophet. And they knew how he spoke and what his personality was like. All of a sudden, when Quran came, these people immediately realized that this is not the words of Muhammad Even the kuffar of Quraysh, the disbelievers, they even noticed that this, this can't be his words. And some of them would like, fall into tears just by hearing these words. Some of them would fall into sajda just by hearing these words. Some of the disbelievers of Quraysh used to at night, like sneak out of their houses just to hear these words. Why? Because they knew these weren't the words of a man. These had to be the words of the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the divine curriculum. This is, this is the curriculum right now. 
What did the Prophet do? How did he bring about this change? Number one, yetlu alayhim ayatihi. He would recite onto them ayatihi. What are the ayat? The Quran. Number two, he would purify them. Number three, he would teach them the law, the knowledge. And number four, he would teach them wisdom. Al-Hikmah. Okay, see, these are the four um, points of the curriculum. Let's, let's go a bit deeper to understand these four points. Now, interestingly, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ibrahim السلام, makes a dua. Okay? And that dua is, رَبَّنَا وَبْعَثْ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِّنْهُمْ يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِكَ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ Does it sound a bit familiar? Pretty much the same thing, right? Let's go even deeper. Ibrahim alayhi salam, this is the order of his dua. He raised his hands and he made this dua. Ya Allah, send a prophet to those people from among them. Number one, he would recite the Quran onto them. Number two, he would teach them the knowledge. Number three, he would teach them wisdom. Number four, he will purify them. What's really amazing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to Ibrahim alayhi salam's dua. Not once, but three times in the Quran. Once in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the same surah, like 23 ayat later after this dua. And then a second time in Al-Imran, and then a third time in Surah Al-Jum'ah. But what we see that's really interesting now is that when Allah answered the dua of Ibrahim, He changed the order a bit. It's as if He was correcting the order in which Ibrahim made the dua. Do you notice something strange that happened? Purification, the order changed from number four to number two. And this happened in all three responses. So the dua was answered, but corrected in a way. This has a very, very strong significance to what we're going to talk about. So I want you just to remember this. And another side note is the power of dua. When did Ibrahim make that dua? Just think about it. Long, long, long time ago, right? And when was it answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? When was it answered? Centuries later, right? Centuries later, the dua was responded. So this also gives us hope that when we make dua and we don't see results coming, we don't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answering, we should still be hopeful that inshallah, one day those, those duas will be answered bi-idhnillah. You have to have certainty in this inshallah. So these are the four steps. This is the four-step uh, four methodology. This is the curriculum we have to follow as a nation, inshallah. Number one was Qur'an. Number two is purification. Number three is knowledge. Number four is wisdom. And inshallah, we'll talk about all four in depth, inshallah. So number one, Qur'an. Yetlu alayhim ayati. The Prophet ﷺ, he taught the Sahaba in a small house called Darul Arqam in Mecca. And for 13 years, that's all he did. He would recite onto them the ayat of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He would recite onto them the Qur'an. And that was basically their, their source of knowledge. There was no university. There was no you know, extra studies that you were doing. It was just purely Qur'an. But they were busy reading Qur'an. What are we doing today? Are we busy reading Qur'an? Or are we busy doing other things? When is Qur'an usually read amongst us nowadays? Usually in Ramadan, yes. Ramadan is, mashallah, 
the Quran all of a sudden becomes the most popular book read in Ramadan. And everyone's doing the khatmas. And sometimes the Quran comes out when people die. Which is very ironic because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Quran to people who are alive, not to people who died. Another you know, tradition in the Pakistani tradition is Quran comes out when someone's getting married, right? Just for some good luck. And um, unfortunately, we're living in times where we're, we've forgotten the purpose of the Quran. We, we got into other things like making the largest Quran in the world and making the smallest Quran in the world and making a gold-plated Quran that's going to be nicely gifted to someone. And usually these gifts stay in the boxes, right? They're never really opened, subhanAllah. Is this why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an for us? No, right? And you know, one uh, ayah that comes to mind in Surah Al-Furqan, the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment is going to be complaining. He will say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rasulu Ya Rabb, inna qawmi attakhadu hadha al-Qur'ana mahjura. My nation? Who's my nation? It's us, right? We're included. They have taken this Qur'an as something that's deserted, mahjura. They left it. They left it in the cupboards for the dust to pick, pick up on it. They left it in the, you know, the car uh, drawer, you know, the place where you keep like, your license and your registration. There's a Qur'an usually there also for insurance purposes, right? Or we sometimes hang it on the rear view mirror. Sometimes, you know, when a newborn baby is born, you put a mini Qur'an pendant for him in gold, right? So that's unfortunately what we've done with the Qur'an. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to us in the first revelation, He said, Iqra, right? Commanding us to read, to read the Qur'an. Not only read, but also to understand. That is the, the main message of the Qur'an, is for us to get the guidance from it. And you know, subhanAllah, in, in, in Fatiha, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at a minimum of 17 times a day, اِهْدِنَا الصَّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ يَا رب. Right? اِهْدِنَا الصَّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ If you're praying five times a day, inshallah all of you are, you're saying this dua 17 times every single day. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right after Fatiha, in Surah Al-Baqarah, He responded to our dua. He said after Alif Lam Mim, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ you want guidance? You're asking for it 70 times a day. So you must be serious. You want that guidance? That guidance is where? There's no doubt about it. The guidance is in the Quran. So if we are asking Allah 17 times a day, but we're not going, we're not putting an effort to go get the guidance, then something is wrong with what we're saying. Either we're saying something that we don't know, or we're saying something, but we mean other things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Surah Muhammad says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا He's asking us, why aren't you pondering upon the Qur'an? Why aren't you spending some time to learn the Qur'an? Why aren't you putting an effort to understand what it is Allah wants from us in this book? What's keeping you so busy? When will that time come? We keep procrastinating, inshallah, next week, next month, next year. When will that time come? Afala means, when will that time come? Isn't it time yet? And so, number one, Qur'an. That's the first part of the methodology. Now, in the case of the Prophet 
he was, of course, the best character, right? Best character. And when he was given the best speech, which is, which is the Quran, guess what happens? Naturally, something happens. And that is called purification. So let's talk a little bit about purification, which is step number two in this curriculum. Okay? So what we should be seeking from Quran is purification. What do we mean by purification? I'll give you a small example, okay? Before we begin. There's this concept called in Arabic, which means to clean up something before you purify it. To remove the dirt before you purify things. So in this case of this, this picture that you see, of course, if someone offered you the glass on the left, the dirty glass, no one will drink from it. Now, if someone just took that glass out, uh, he picked up the glass and he threw the dirty water out and poured some water in, would you still drink it? Why not? Because there's still some dirt left there. So what ideally you'll do is you'll take that glass, you'll clean it up nicely with some dishwasher or whatever, and then you'll pour in some pure water and then you'll drink it. Isn't that true? Yes? Similarly, another important point to remember from purification is imagine that, you know, when I go to work, I wear a white robe, okay? It's usually like nicely ironed and it's pure white. The moment I get home, my daughter comes up to me and says, Baba, Baba, Mama, Mama, right? And she hugs me. What's going to happen to the thobe? She just ruined my thobe. So the initial reaction usually to, to, for when something is pure, when it gets dirty, the initial reaction is what? What's the initial reaction? You get upset, right? That, the, that amazing thobe is all of a sudden a chocolate thobe. So the initial reaction is to get bothered, to get annoyed. But then, my, other, my son comes and says, Baba, Baba, I just learned how to paint today. And he comes and he hugs me also. Now the thobe, not, not only does it have chocolate, it also has some paint colors. Now, will I be as upset as I was initially? No, right? I'm going to be less upset because khalas, the thobe is dirty anyway. It's going to go in the, into the dry cleaning anyway. I might as well, you know, enjoy painting with my son and my daughter, right? That, that's the nature of human beings. The more dirty we get, the less sensitive we get to this dirt. Okay, and I'll explain to you another example for this to, inshallah, reach home. Our bodies, right? How many of you have tried to do dieting before? Dieting, don't be ashamed, okay? No one's watching. Okay, may Allah help you, inshallah, on your diet, okay? So basically... If you're eating a lot of biryani and chocolates and jalebis and pakoras all week long and all, you have an apple once a week on Fridays, is that apple going to do you any good? You're kidding yourself, okay? What you need to first do is you need to start detoxing first, okay? And I'll share with you a personal story. This is a true story, okay? I uh, remember when I came back from college, everyone was like, Fahad, what happened to you, man? You've, you've like blown up. Okay? I, I gained a lot of weight. I gained like um, 5 kilos. My ideal weight is 80. Okay? So I was 85 when I came back and it used to bother me so much because everyone thought like I was athletic and I used to play tennis. And so I used to work out, I used to go to the gym, I used to swim, I used to play tennis, I used to try all sorts of things like CrossFit and you know, um, insanity, all these things. I tried everything and the, the weight is still stuck at 85. 
It's not going down, no matter how hard I try. So one day, my beautiful sister, my young sister, comes up and she, she says, guess what I heard of a diet, a detox diet, that if you do it for 10 days, you lose 5 kilos, guaranteed. So my initial reaction was, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, right. Ten, 5 kilos in 10 days? It's been 10 years and I can't lose these 5 kilos. How can it, how can it be possible? You'll probably end up at the hospital in 10 days, right? So she's like, no, trust me, it works. Trust me, trust me, trust me. So I said, fine, you guys try it. Try it for 10 days, let me see the results. So all my sisters tried it. And guess what? To our shock, all of them pretty much left, uh, lost 5 kilos in 10 days. Literally, they, they shrunk. Okay, remember that, right? Okay. So uh, I was amazed. I was like, wow, finally, we have the formula. So I tried it, and alhamdulillah, in 10 days, I lost 5 kilos. Alhamdulillah, I went back to 80, and I know what's going on in your mind. All of you want to know what that formula is. Right? <laughs> and I'm not going to tell it to you this class, inshallah. We'll do a separate session on body detox one day, inshallah. No, inshallah, if you, if you come up to me later, I can tell you. The, so you guys get the idea? There's no point in eating healthy and exercising if there's toxins in your body. You need to, first of all, get rid of it. Get rid of those toxins and then work out. That's what we mean by takhliya qabla tahliya. Remember that? And you know, when someone is not in the mood of dieting, then they just go all out. You know, they have machboos and biryani, and then after that, they're like, you know what? There's no point in having fruit salad. Let's have some Nutella ice cream or some Nutella cake. And they go all out, right? Because they're already in that zone of eating junk. So they just completely ruin it. That sensitivity to losing weight becomes less when you're filled with junk. You're all with me so far? Okay, let's apply, apply this logic to two things that the Qur'an is supposed to purify. Let me repeat that. The Qur'an is supposed to purify how many things? Two, primarily two things, bi'ithnillah. One is the mind and the other is the heart. Okay, the mind and the heart. Let's look at what we mean by purifying the minds. We're living in the age of information overload, right? With all the gadgets around us and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and the internet and the news and TV and everything around us is just information, information, information. Text messages coming, advertisements. And so we're our minds have actually become polluted with all this information. Okay? And, you know, subhanAllah, a lot of the stuff that goes in our mind, especially when it comes to entertainment, a lot of it is stuff that actually harms us. It's, you know, the shamelessness that's out there today in the industry, which is, that industry in itself is a multi-billion dollar industry. Why do you think that industry sells? Because people get attracted to it. It's so attractive. But at the same time, it's polluting your mind. And literally, someone who is addicted to these kind of shamelessness entertainment, we actually call his mind a dirty mind that needs to be purified. So what we actually need and what the Qur'an actually does, it is actually brainwashes us, right? Usually brainwash is seen as something bad, right? But wouldn't you want to wash your brain from this filth? If someone offered you a solution to wash your brain, clean it up from all the junk, wouldn't you want it? So the Qur'an actually 
washes our minds, basically. Okay? That's what it's supposed to do. And, you know, they, they, it's a very uh, famous statement now. Phones are getting smarter, but people are getting dumber by the day. Okay? And subhanAllah, um, we can see this also from, like, the movies that are coming out. It's like, there's no message in the movies that are coming out. Pointless movies, pointless cartoons. Even the music industry, right? Like the lyrics. Have you recently heard lyrics of songs compared to like old days? They don't make any sense, right? I remember there's this like one song like back in our days when we were young. Uh, the, the name of the song was Jump. And the lyrics went like this. Jump around, jump around, jump up, jump up and get down. Now, what in the world is that? Like, what kind of lyrics are these, then? Okay? So, and you know, subhanAllah, for the, for, the, for the guys here, mashallah, you know, there's so much knowledge about, you know, Messi and Ronaldo and how many goals he scored and how many assists he made and how much they bought him for and who's the next player. And, and I see a lot of people smiling in the crowd. <laughs> so you guys know what I'm talking about. So there's so much information that's... It's so, it's so impressive, even like I remember my nephews during World Cup, like they knew all the players and they knew who was scoring which goal, which minute the goal was scored. It's, it's scary how much information is there in the mind. And for the uncles and aunties, the news, right? We can't resist the news, especially with Pakistani politics going on nowadays, right? Everyone has their channels on. And, of course, the entertainment industry, right? The OSN, the movies, the series, the TV series. These are highly, highly addictive stuff, especially for people who have no purpose in life. What was that series that went popular? I think Harim al-Sultan, right? Yeah, so many people watched it. It was trans translated and subtitled into so many languages. And people just spent hours and hours of their lives just taking in that information. SubhanAllah. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, listen to this in Surah Al-Mulk. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى الطَّيْرِ فَوْقَهُمْ صَافَّاتٍ وَيَقْبِضٍ مَا يُمْسِكُهُنَّ إِلَّا الرَّحْمَانِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, don't you see the birds flying, spreading their wings, صَافَّات وَيَقْبِضٍ Don't you see them flying? Don't you appreciate my creation? He keeps on saying this over and over in the Quran. That there are signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all around us. But what are we busy doing? SubhanAllah, with these gadgets, we're always busy looking down. You guys notice that? People are like crossing the street and they're like looking down. And you know, a couple sitting on a dinner table, both are looking down. And like five, five groups of uh, buddies sitting together, all of them looking down. We don't, like these devices have forced us to look down and have completely blocked all the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The beauty of Allah's creation, we, we're not able to see anymore. We're not able to appreciate the stars. We're not able to appreciate the moon. We're not able to appreciate the sun anymore. The birds, the clouds. We don't have time for that anymore. And Allah says, إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ There are so many signs out there in the creation of Allah. For who? For أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ Who are أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ? أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ are those who have clear minds. They know what to take in and what to leave. They know how to keep their minds free from junk. 
Okay? So this gives you an idea about what the Quran wants from us in terms of purification of the mind. Are you all with me so far? Yes? Let's move on to the second part. Purification of the heart. And this is actually the core also. The heart is the core of this whole topic. Unfortunately, we're living in times where we don't even have time to reflect on the state of our hearts. And you know, when you don't pay attention to your heart, your heart starts getting rusted. It starts turning black. And there's so many diseases of the hearts. These are actually spiritual diseases of the heart. Like ego, like jealousy, and anger, and hatred, and depression. And you know, making judgments of others. These are all these small black dots in our hearts that are actually spreading. Greed and materialism, love of this dunya, disbelief, ingratitude. We keep complaining about things, right? We're not thankful anymore. All of these things are polluting our hearts. They're polluting our hearts. And subhanAllah, you know, who can tell me how do we start purifying ourselves from, this, from these diseases? What is, what is the way to purify yourself from these diseases? There's two things you can do, yes? Hmm? Dhikr, okay, remembrance of Allah, but specifically istighfar, okay? Istighfar, which means to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's number one. Number two is amal, amal salih. Who said that? MashaAllah. Okay, very good. Amal salih. Yes, so good deeds clean up the heart. And inshallah, when you clean up your heart, then your heart will be filled with taqwa. It will be filled with, filled with gratitude, with shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with love. Love of Allah, love of His creation, love of your family, mercy and peace. All of these positive things will start entering your heart. And you know, this, this brings to me, uh, reminds me of the definition of taqwa that I read once. It's one of the best definitions I ever read of the word taqwa. Taqwa, according to that uh, meaning, basically means the ability to take your heart out and put it on a plate and walk around with it in public for people to see what's in your heart. That is taqwa. The ability to walk around Showing people what's in my heart. I have nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. I have no secret sins that I'm doing in my privacy. I have no jealousy. I have no hatred that I'm not expressing. Nothing is hidden inside. Everything you're able to show out in public. So this is a good self-check for all of us. Just ask yourself this question. If today you were asked to take your heart out and put it on a plate and walk around with it, would you be able to do it or no? If the answer is no, then guess what? That means there's some laundry that needs to be done, okay? And if it's yes, then mashallah, that's good news for you. Then you are mashallah, someone who is, has a pure heart. And you know, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He says, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بنون. On that day, on the day of judgment, your money and your children will be of no use. إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ Salim, except for that person who comes up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a pure heart, with a sound heart, with a clean heart. That is the objective, to have a clean heart. Inshallah, when you, your heart becomes clean, 
then you are ready to accept the nur of the Qur'an. Then you, the nur of the Qur'an touches your heart and it touches your ruh. That is when that light upon light happens. Nurun ala nur. You've heard of this, this ayah? Nurun ala nur. That's what it is. When the light of the Qur'an meets the light of your ruh. Your ruh is crying. It wants to be fed this dhikr. It wants to be fed with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It wants to connect with the Qur'an. It wants to feed itself. But we have ignored our ruhs, unfortunately. We are focused only on the external part of our bodies. Right? We're ex focused on just external looks. The way we dress, the way we look. We all have showers every day, right? We brush our teeth. The ladies, they go to the salons and they get their manicure and pedicure. Brothers, they get their massage every now and then, right? We're obsessed with our bodies, but we have forgotten our ruhs. And subhanAllah, you know, when, when this nurun ala nur happens and your ruh gets lit up with light, then guess what? A natural reaction of that is that this light will want to come out and spread and benefit humanity. That is really the fruit of iman. Then you start wanting to spread this light. Just like, like that candle that, wants, that spreads its light. You know, if this room was completely dark and we only had one candle, wouldn't that be enough to light up the whole room? Yes or no? Yes. One candle is enough to light up the room. And subhanAllah, you know, um, purification or tazkiyah, right? This is a natural um, need of every human being. And some people, you know what? Instead of turning to the Qur'an, they, they come up with their own methodologies and their own inventions, new ways of satisfying this need. Some people do it through dancing, some people do it through listening to you know, music. Other people, you know, they do yoga and all sorts of meditation. Because it's a human need, you need to do this. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us is, the ultimate purification an ultimate meditation is when you connect with the Qur'an. And to prove that to you, you all know Isra'ul Mi'raj, right? Right? The ascension of the Prophet ﷺ to the upper heavens, which is called the Mi'raj. Now in the Mi'raj, that is actually the climax or the highest spiritual event in human history. No human being has ever reached that high up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in that event, in that moment, he actually gifted the Prophet ﷺ something. A very, very precious gift. And this gift was given to him during a year which is called Aam al-Huzn. The year of sadness. This was the year when the Prophet ﷺ lost his beloved wife Khadija. This was the year when he lost his grandfather. This was the year when he lost his uh, uncle Abu Talib. Okay? Very sad year. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just to revive the Prophet's morale, he took him on a joyride up in the heavens. He was invited. And he was even given a gift to change his mood, you know, to make him happy a bit. What was that gift? Who can tell me? Salah. So salah, my dear brothers and sisters, is the ultimate spiritual cleansing that you can experience. That is the ultimate meditation you need. Because what do we have to recite in Salah? Quran. Okay? Salah without Quran is not, doesn't count. At least you have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. At least. Okay? 
So, salah is actually a, a system, a divine system made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us to revive our spirituality. How often? Five times a day. And it was 50, by the way. You guys remember this, right? In the stories. It was 50 and we got discounts. Thanks to Musa alayhi salam. And we ended up with five. And we still complain that, oh, we just prayed Maghrib Isha already. And so, you know, there's several tragedies that we're living in. The tragedy number one is many Muslims today don't even pray. That's tragedy number one. Then there's tragedy number two. Many Muslims pray but not five times a day. Tragedy number three is many, many Muslims pray five times a day but the quality of the salah is very bad. So will we get that spiritual cleansing if we pray very fast and we don't know what we're saying and we're just you know, doing it as a ritual? Will that cleansing happen? No. So this formula, Quran and purification, or let's call it purification with the Quran, this worked with the Meccans. And by the way, Meccans were pretty messed up before Islam came. You guys know the stories of Jahiliya, right? I mean, people used to bury their daughters alive. The tribes used to kill one another over like very, very stupid things. And there was like this um, huge, huge discrimination against women. Women had no rights at all. Islam came to clean up this mess. And this formula worked with the Meccans. So if it can work with the Meccans, Allah is basically telling us here that it can work with anybody. You have to trust that this, me this methodology does work. You just have to trust it. Stop inventing your own methodologies. Stop thinking of new ways of fixing this problem. Allah has given you the solution. And it works. Ready to move on to step number three? Yes or no? Okay, good, mashallah. So, step number three is knowledge. Allah, the Prophet ﷺ teaching us knowledge. Okay? And, you know, this is where, when we, t when we talk about knowledge, we're talking about halal and haram, you know, rules, basically, regulations, sharia, you can call it whatever you want. This is step number three. This is step number what? Three. Remember in Ibrahim dua, what was it? Step number what? It was step number two. It was step number two. Okay? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed it to step number three. Why? Because purification is critical before you decide to get knowledge. Okay? That's the message I want to get to you. Purification is critical before you get knowledge. Unfortunately, we're living in times where we are obsessed with knowledge. We're obsessed with just getting that knowledge and knowledge and, and knowing what's halal, what's haram. You know who else was obsessed with knowledge? The Jews were obsessed with knowledge also. They were obsessed with knowledge. And you know, when we talk about this, then there's... You're just obsessed with what's halal and what's haram. Your life becomes black and white. It's either you're, you're, you're black or you're white. It's either you're, you think like me, then you're right, or if you don't think like me, then you're wrong. And, you know, we can, we can tell this is very, very common in our societies by the questions people ask the scholars nowadays. Have you ever watched those shows where there's like a, a sheikh sitting and there's a fatwa has been given over the phone? 
What are usually the questions asked to these scholars? Are they spiritual questions to, to purify our heart and our mind? Or are they questions of halal and haram? Halal and haram. You know, someone calls and, and says, you know, um, I was traveling and I missed my salah. How am I supposed to make it up? That's, these are all legal issues. Inheritance issues. Issues to do with hajj. Issues, issues to do with umrah. Issues to do with how to pay my zakat. Right? All rulings. We're obsessed with just finding out the fiqh rulings of certain laws in the, in, the, in the Islam. That's become an obsession for us. When was the last time you heard a caller saying, um, you know, Sheikh Saab, I have an ego issue. How can I fix that? Did you ever hear that question being asked on a live call? If you look at the questions of the Sahaba, they were all questions to deal with the heart and Jannah and Akhirah and pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, uh, the Sahabi would go and ask the Prophet ﷺ, which deeds are the best in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What are the best deeds I can do to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Ya Rasulullah, tell me one thing I can do to gain my Jannah. All they were concerned about was pleasing Allah and Jannah and making sure that they are purified. The fiqh issues came up later on. And we'll talk about this inshallah later on. So obsession with knowledge, obs obsession with degrees. I graduated from this university. I studied under Sheikh Flan. I, you know, teach at this school. And I know this, I've memorized this book and that book. And I know this hadith and that, you know, book. Obsession with knowledge. And sometimes this obsession can lead to people fighting with each other. This is what happened with the Jews. Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran, وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمُ the cause of differentiation and separation among the people of the book was the fact that they had knowledge and they started doing fist fights with this knowledge. Someone would, would throw one, one ayah and then, you know, one hadith and hadith and hadith and one ayah. Everyone trying to prove their point to each other. Nobody trying to listen to the other party. Everyone just arguing with each other to prove a point. This is what the state of the Muslims has, been, has come to today. Do you all agree with me or no? Yes? Muslims are fighting with one another trying to prove their points because of this obsession with knowledge. And let's look at the, the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. 13 years in Mecca and 10 years in Medina. 13 years, Meccan Quran came to improve the morals and manners of the believers. That was the foundation. Those were the roots. That was the actual foundation. Then in Mecca, and, and by the way, when you, call, when you talk about morals and manners, we talk about things like honesty, being truthful, being trustworthy, you know, having mercy, being just, patience, and gratitude. These are the values that were instilled into the Sahaba as a foundation. This was the priority for the Prophet ﷺ. This is what happened for 13 years. It didn't happen overnight. And then in Medina, that's when the ruling started. That's when the legal issues came up. That's when the ayat of hijab came and you know, the rulings of fasting and the payment of zakat and prohibition of alcohol. Did you guys know this? Hijab and all these other things came later on. Those weren't, these aren't the priority for the ummah nowadays. 
We need to go back to the roots and fix our foundation. Instead of jumping to the knowledge part, let us focus on step number two, which is purification. And you know, subhanAllah, we're also living in times where there's excessive schools for teaching tajweed and memorization of the Qur'an, which is, mashallah, it's great, it's amazing. Me, myself, my daughter is, is enrolled in a program to do this. And I want her to, inshallah, become a hafiz Qur'an. But, I always have this discussion with my wife, that, yes, memorizing Qur'an is important, but what's the point of memorizing Qur'an if my daughter will not be a truthful person? The real education that we need for our children and for ourselves is being truthful, being honest, being just, being merciful, being good to your parents, being good to your neighbors, not being someone who is always discriminating against others. These are the real, this is the education we need. The school and, you know, the 12 years you spend in school and four years of college, that's not education, guys. Wallahi, that's not education. Those are just tools for you to earn money in this dunya, this temporary dunya. Those are just skills that, are your, that you're learning. The real education are these values that the Prophet ﷺ taught in the first 13 years. So I keep telling my wife that this is the priority for us. We need our daughter to be someone who has these values. Then the memorization is just a plus, inshallah. Okay? So, I mean, schools are there for memorization and tajweed. Where are the schools to understand Qur'an? Have you heard of a, the Qur'an Understanding Academy? It doesn't exist, right? We just have tajweed programs and hafiz programs. And, and the parents are actually happy that this is going on. And they pr are proud about this. The tragedy is we are not teaching ourselves, we're not educating ourselves in Qur'an. We're missing the whole point. Are you all with me? Yes? Okay. So there's a big, big difference. We have five minutes, inshallah, we'll break with that, okay? So pay attention for five minutes. So there's a big, big difference between knowledge and information. Having information alone is not enough, right? There's complete, completely different, two different things. Unfortunately, because we're living in the information of, or the age of Sheikh Google, right? Everyone becomes a mufti nowadays, right? And, uh, you know, the other one is uh, Mufti Wikipedia also, right? So we have all these resources uh, that we have access to and we all think we're knowledgeable. What we have is information. And to prove to you, you know, the ayah that was mentioned in this, uh, or the word mentioned in this ayah is, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ Pay attention to the word وَيُعَلِّمُهُمْ You know the shadda that's in this word? يُعَلِّمُهُمْ This emphasizes that this actually takes time. It's a prolonged process that takes time and it's, it's not overnight. It's not just a Google search that you get an answer to. Gaining knowledge takes time. But because we're living the, in the age of Twitter and, you know, limited text and shortcuts, we have people who, you know, without knowledge, with just information, they want to change the world overnight. And in fact, what they're doing is they're actually destroying Islam. They want to jump from this four-step curriculum. They want to go straight to step number four and just establish an Islamic state and destroy Islam. Isn't that what's happening? 
I know I'm getting a bit controversial, but you know, this is reality, okay? We need to talk about these things, okay? This is a serious, serious problem. Where, where is the tazkiyah? How can anyone ever justify killing innocent people? What about Meccan Quran? What about mercy and, you know, not killing innocent people? Where are all those? They're just thrown out the window. Why? Because we haven't educated ourselves through Quran. We've educated ourselves to just listening to, uh, you know, some speakers, blind following, and, you know, get edu getting educated through forums and, and Sheikh Google and Mufti Wikipedia, unfortunately. So it's important for us to work on the roots, to see the fruits. I repeat that. It's important for us to work on the roots, to see the fruits. And inshallah, when our roots are solid and, and inshallah good, then the fruits that will come out will be yummy fruits. Okay? You all like fruits? Yes? How do pure fruits come out? when the roots are solid and when the seeds are right. Unfortunately, you know what, what's happened to us today? Because there's no foundation, the fruits that are coming out portraying Islam are rotten fruits. They're ugly fruits. They're stinky fruits. They're disgusting fruits. And the media, international media, is zooming in on these fruits and they're showing the world, this is what Islam is. Do you really, wanna, you, do you really want that? So many Muslims are away from Islam because they don't want to be associated with rotten fruits. How are we even you know, going to spread the message of Islam if we don't have our foundations right? How do we expect to share these fruits with others if they're rotten? So again, my dear brothers and sisters, to see pure fruits, we have to fix the roots. So with that, inshallah, we take a short mini break. Okay, It's just two minutes. Because I know attention span is limited, so I highly recommend you all to stand up. Please, all of you stand up and just let the blood circulate for a while and I'll, I'll get a glass of water also, shall Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So inshallah, uh, two minutes are up. I think four minutes are up now. Yeah, six minutes are up. So inshallah, let's get back. So, so far we have covered how many parts, how many steps of this curriculum? Three. Okay, step number one was reciting Quran and of course with understanding. Step number two was purification. And then after that comes the knowledge. Now we want to talk about wisdom, inshallah. Okay. We need to move forward because inshallah time is running out also. So what does, what does it mean to, for the Prophet to teach wisdom? Why did the Prophet said, Wisdom basically means theory and practice. Action. Whatever knowledge you have, you act upon it. That's actually called wisdom. You know, in our times, we're living, we, we think of wisdom as someone who is like really old with like a long white beard and like glasses on and you know he's smoking a pipe and he says some really deep words right that's wisdom in, in the worldly sense but according to the Quran you are wise when you know something and you act upon it very simple knowledge and action upon that knowledge is that clear okay 
So I want to talk about something very, very important here. It's extremely important, okay? And that is the difference between what we call in Arabic Al-Ghaya and Al-Wasila. Al-Ghaya is basically the objective, the goal. And Wasila is how I'm going to get to that goal. So in, in, the, in this example, there's a picture of someone driving a car, okay? So let's say for them, the objective is to reach a destination, right? How are they going to reach that destination? What's the means to reach the destination? The car itself, right? Okay, so you guys get the dif difference? The objective is the destination. How I'm going to get there is what we call the means. Now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? For us, the objective is not to read the Qur'an. The objective is bigger than that. The objective is to do something beneficial for humanity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all of us with a purpose in life. Okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam salam as a khalifa of Allah on earth. And that khalifa's responsibility is to fix this earth. Right? Are there problems on earth today? Are there many problems or little problems? And who's going to fix those problems? We are actually supposed to be fixing those problems as Muslims, as khalifas of Allah on earth. Unfortunately, we are living in times where people are waiting for the Mahdi to come down and fix all these problems, like he's some kind of Superman or Batman, right? It's not going to happen until we stand up and fix these problems ourselves. So that is the objective. Reading Quran, which was step number one, is not the objective. It is a means to reach that bigger objective. Purification, which is step number two, right? That is not the objective. Purification is not the objective. It is also the means to achieve something beneficial for humanity. On the same note, knowledge is not the objective. Knowledge is the means to do benefit for humanity. You guys get this point? Very, very important for us to differentiate between the two. So when you study the Qur'an, when you read the Qur'an, you have to go with this intention. Ya Allah, I want to read the Qur'an to remember you so that I can inshallah do something beneficial for humanity. The objective is not just to read the Qur'an and be satisfied. Alhamdulillah, I read, I read Qur'an today. Alhamdulillah, I did my khatma this month. That is not the objective. Alhamdulillah, I had khushu in my salah today. That is not the objective. Khushu and salah and purification and spirituality is a means to, inshallah, doing good for humanity. And you know, I like Steve Jobs' quote here where he says, we, we are here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? That is our objective. To do something beneficial for humanity. And every single one of us sitting in this room today, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with a special gift. Every single one of you. There's something unique about you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to, first of all, discover what that unique talent or gift is. And then secondly, He wants you to use that talent to benefit humanity. That is why we were born Muslims. That is why we are Muslims. Because Allah sees potential in us. He sees some, some potential in us that we have to, inshallah, discover and live by.
So that's step number four, wisdom. So these are the four um, steps in the methodology. And Allah says, وَإِن كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ These Arabs who Allah sent the Ummiyun, these Ummiyun who Allah sent the Prophet to apply this curriculum, before that they were in clear misguidance. Mubin means, means clear misguidance. And you know, in Salah, like I told you, we say, اهدنا الصراط المستقيم. Which Sirat are we talking about here? To understand that, let's just do a quick revision. So, when we apply wisdom, right, there is two aspects to wisdom. There is knowledge and what? Action. Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim. That's the path we want to be on. Why, are Allah, why is Allah happy with these people? Why, is Allah, why has Allah blessed these people? Because they had knowledge and they acted upon that knowledge. As for the maghdubi alayhim, we say in salah, غير المغضوبي alayhim. Ya Allah, we don't want to be of the maghdubi alayhim. You know why they're maghdubi alayhim? Because they had the knowledge, but they didn't act upon it. They knew that, you know, drinking alcohol was haram, but they enjoyed it, they did it. There's something in the heart that needs to be fixed. So maghdubi alayhim is an issue with the heart. You have some temptation, some desire in your heart, some addiction that you can't get over. It's something that you can't get over, even if you have knowledge. You know, someone who smokes, he knows that it's bad to smoke, it's bad for your health. But he still does it, why? Because he enjoys it. He, he gets a kick out of it. He gets that high with it. Okay? As for dhalleen, dhalleen are people who are lost. Why? Because they have no knowledge. And, and sometimes they have action that are wrong action, so action based on wrong knowledge, which is usually people who do crazy things, just following blindly, right? Or they're people who are useless people, right? They're basically worse than animals. They have no purpose in life. They live to party and eat and sleep and die. That's all that life uh, means to them. No knowledge, no action, nothing, just partying. Yeah? And this is a clear problem of the mind. So you see how in Fatiha also we are actually supposed to purify our mind and our heart through Fatiha five times a day. It's a reminder for us. So next time you recite Hidina Salat al Mustaqim, Salat al Ladina Namta Alayhim, Ghair al Maghdubi Alayhim Walabalin. When you say Maghdubi Alayhim, remember we need to purify the hearts so that we don't deserve Allah's anger. And remember Dalin are people who have no knowledge. To emphasize on the importance of knowledge. So let's move on. Wow, we're still on ayah number three. Oops. Okay. So, وَآخَرِينَ مِنْهُمْ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Allah is saying, and after them, after these ummeen, there will come other people, other nations who will be from among them. They will also meet them. يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ They still haven't joined them, but they will join them. Who is Allah talking about here? Us, right? The 1.6 billion Muslims today who, inshallah, will be joining these initial ummiyun. And you know today, like the majority of the population of the Muslim world are actually non-Arabs. Which also means that they are ummiyun, right? Because they're unlettered in the Arabic language. You see how amazingly this is like connecting? So this ummiyun actually applies to us. And Allah is hinting here also that even these people who will come after you, they will too have to follow the same curriculum. If they want to, inshallah, benefit. And this also is a reminder for us to never ever judge others, brothers and sisters. 
Because you never know who could come into Islam next. You never know what potential is there in people, even in non-Muslims. Especially if you're in the field of giving da'wah and inviting people. You cannot give da'wah to non-Muslims if you don't love them, if you don't have this urge for them to come into Islam and do something beneficial. Okay? Unfortunately, that's also a disease that's out there. People have hatred towards non-Muslims. How can you even invite someone if you have hatred for them? You know, the word da'wah actually means invitation. Would you ever invite someone you hate? No. How can you even give da'wah to a non-believer if you hate them? It doesn't make sense. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And the word fadl actually means excessive favors. You know how when you pour water in a bucket and it pours out? That excess is called fadl. Allah is saying, this divine curriculum I've given you, it's a fadl that I've given you. It's a favor, excessive favor. This prophet that I sent you is excessive favor. This Quran is excessive favor for you. Allah wants us to benefit from this fadl. He wants this Quran to be a book for everybody. You know, unlike the people of the book, you know the people of the book, what they did with their books? They actually, there was kind of like a manipulation of knowledge. Only the people high up in the, in the hierarchy, the priests, the rabbis, the ministers, they had complete control over knowledge. And the laymen wouldn't have access to this knowledge. They would have to follow blindly. As for us, we have to change this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants Quran and Quranic education to be part of every single, uh, uh, every single person, every single Muslim. Quranic education should be the standard for the average Muslim. It's not only for the, the shiukh and the scholars and the a'immah. No. It's completely different. And Allah says, ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ this yu'tihi mayyashah means Allah gives it to whoever He wills. But there's another beautiful meaning in it. Allah gives it only to those who want it. That fadl, Allah gives it to those who want it. So are you asking for it? Are you seeking that fadl? Do you really want to connect with the Qur'an? Do you really want to apply this curriculum? Ask yourself this question. So we move on to part two. Who can remind me what's part two of this whole, whole session? There's three parts, remember? First part was the divine curriculum. We finished with that, alhamdulillah. Second part was what? Failed nation. Very good, mashallah. Very good. So example of a failed nation. Let's look at the example of a failed nation. So who's the nation? It's the Bani Israel, the Jews. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Jews the law. Right, the Torah from Musa. They were given the book. They, they were given the knowledge. But, what did the Jews do with that knowledge? Allah says in the next ayah, يحملوها, And let's, let's understand what this, these words are. The example of those who were burdened. Hummilu means they were burdened with the book. They didn't want the book. They were forced to hold on to that book. And then they didn't carry it. Even after they were burdened with it, they didn't carry it. What did they do with it? What did they do with all these, this knowledge, all these books? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And you know, subhanAllah, Allah says, 
the likeness of these people are, the, are like the likeness of the donkey who carries weights and weights of book. Asfara means massive books. You know why they call them Asfara? Because Asfara comes from the root word Safar, which means a journey. So it's as if you open that book, it's so lengthy that it's like going through a journey. And so they can't be bothered, just keep it on their backs. They don't benefit from that knowledge. It's just sitting on their backs. And by the way, donkey is a pretty bad word, right? If someone called you a donkey, you'd be pretty offended, right? Yahmar, right? No one likes to be called Yahmar. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يعني, He says, بِئْسَ مَثَلُ الْقَوْمِ الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ What a horrible example of this nation. مَثَلُ الْقَوْمِ He said. He didn't say, بِئْسَ مَثَلُ بَنُوا إِسْرَائِيلِ بِئْسَ مَثَلُ الْقَوْمِ It's as if Allah is hinting to something here. Any nation that does, that does this, it's such a bad example. الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ They actually denied the ayat of Allah. كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ means denial. And there's two types of denial. There's denial in verbal, verbal denial. When you actually say, I don't believe in the Qur'an. I don't believe this is Kalamullah. I don't believe this. And then there's denial in action. When you say you believe in the Qur'an, but your actions say otherwise. And here's a hint. Can you guys think of another nation that was given the book, but they held it onto their backs? They don't know what's in it. Yes? Sadly, right? The Muslims. And by the way, this himar is not a curse to Bani Israel, just to clarify. Okay? Allah is cursing, or He's giving example of their act. The act is a horrible act. The act of not benefiting from knowledge. The act of ignoring the gift that Allah has given you. That's what's being cursed here, not Bani Israel. Okay? Bani Israel will be the second largest nation in Jannah, by the way. And the word Israel is not a curse. Israel actually means Abdullah in Hebrew language. It was the name of Yaqub Okay, so some just clarification. And you know, uh, Allah here also is hinting to something very important. Learning from history. Learning from the mistakes of people in the past. And I like this quote. The one lesson we've learned from history is that we have not learned any of history's lessons. Unfortunately, we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. Wallahu la yahdi al Let's talk about the concept of dhulm now. Okay? Now, in our lives, and I talk about this at length in my Discovery or Vision workshop, which inshallah you'll do one day. All of you have to do it. Okay? All of you have to do this workshop one day. Basically, what we talk about is different roles that we play in our lives. The role of a father, the role of a husband, the role of a daughter, the role of a wife, the role of a neighbor, the role of a worshipper, the role of a, you know, someone who's taking care of her health, the role of yourself intellectually. There's so many roles you have to manage. And for each of these roles, you're either doing justice, you're doing the bare minimum to do justice, or you're doing zulm, you're falling short, or you're doing excellence. And usually there's a misbalance, there's an imbalance that people have in, this, in these managing these roles. Someone is like paying so much attention on his business that doesn't have time to pray. Or someone is doing so much da'wah and you know, relief work and charitable work, he, had, he doesn't spend, spend enough time with family. Okay? So there's usually an imbalance that happens. So one of those roles, my dear brothers and sisters, is our relationship with the Qur'an. And I want to share with you some of the rights of the Qur'an upon us. 
And when we talk about rights, these are the, this is like the bare minimum we need to do to pass. Number one is believing in the Qur'an. Can I see the show of hands of who believes in the Qur'an? Alhamdulillah, mashallah, we all pass with flying colors. Step number two is appreciating the Qur'an. Believing the Qur'an is one thing, appreciating it is something completely different. Step number three is reciting the Qur'an. If you claim to believe and appreciate but you don't recite, then there's something wrong. Step number four is understanding them. After you recite, there must be a sense of curiosity in you. What is it that Allah wants from me? What is in this book? What's the overall theme of Surah Al-Jumaah? What's Surah Al-Jumaah all about? And mashallah, all of you are here today to inshallah satisfy that urge inside of you, that curiosity. And then after that understanding is implementation. And last but not least is sharing. Once you know this, then you share it. The Prophet said, بَلِّغُوا anni walaw ayah." Even if it's one verse, teach, share Allah's book with humanity. And I believe that you know our focus unfortunately has been uh, or should be on appreciating the Qur'an. We unfortunately don't appreciate the Qur'an much. That's why we're not reading it. That's why we're not understand, putting an effort to understand it. That's why we're not putting an effort to apply it and share it. Why? Because appreciation of the Qur'an is missing. And if there is one thing I want you all to leave today with from this session is a little bit more appreciation of the Qur'an and the amazing lessons and guidance that Allah has given us. And you know, this is a message for humanity. By the way, the Prophet ﷺ was sent to the Ummiyeen, right, of Arabia. But wasn't he also a messenger for humanity? Now, during his lifetime, he was able to fulfill his mission for the Ummiyeen. What about humanity? Who's going to spread this message to humanity? We are the ambassadors of the Qur'an. So if we don't even know the Qur'an for ourselves, how can we even think of becoming ambassadors of the Qur'an? Just some things to think about. Okay? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ هَادُوا Now he's talking to these, this failed nation, right? Who just took knowledge and they didn't benefit from it at all. They had no purification. They skipped the purification step. Allah says, قُلْ يَا الَّذِينَ هَادُوا إِنْ زَعَمْتُمْ أَنَّكُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ لِلَّهِ if you claim that, that you are the best friends of Allah, Mindun and Nas, if you claim that you're the only best friends of Allah, then wish for death. If you claim that Allah loves you, right, wish for death. And so what happens when you have empty knowledge is you start getting false assumptions. Some of the false assumptions that Ben Israel had was they were the close friends of Allah. They, they were in the false assumption that they were loved by Allah. They were in the false assumption that they were the chosen people. So they started relaxing. They started getting into a comfort zone. Okay? Does it ring a bell? Does it make sense? Who else thinks this way nowadays? The people of La ilaha illallah, right? We think that that verbal attestation of La ilaha illallah is a ticket to Jannah. Okay? But we don't understand it, what, how the Sahaba understood this concept, how they lived by La ilaha illallah. And so there's this, Allah is giving them the love of dunya test. You want to know if you love dunya or not? Ask yourself this question, do you fear death or no? 
Every single one of us, we need to ask ourselves this question. Why is death coming up all of a sudden, by the way? It's a depressing topic, but why? Because the people, Allah is actually hinting that if you leave the Qur'an, then you will develop a fear of death. It's a natural consequence of leaving the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَبَدًا They will not wish for death ever. بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ Because they know what deeds they've sent forward. وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِالظَّالِمِينَ And Allah knows who are the, the unjust people. And you know, the example of an ostrich, by the way. If an ostrich is attacked by an animal, then the ostrich cannot face that scene of like horror. So what it does is it actually buries its head underground. It avoids facing reality, facing death. It can't stand it, so it just buries its head underground. And you know, the concept of deeds sent forward, Allah keeps saying this, بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ It's like that email that you send. You know when you send an email, does it ever come back? Unless you recall it, yeah, there's ways of doing it. But when you send the message, it's gone. Similarly, our deeds are like that email that's sent. خلاص, it's gone to Allah. And, and that deed, you'll see it on the Day of Judgment. If it's a good deed, then mashaAllah, you will see that good deed in front of you on the Day of Judgment. If it's a bad deed, then our arms and our tongues and our eyes and our bodies and our limbs will be testifying against us. And you know, for us, the Prophet has actually told us to make a dua. We're supposed to be people who actually do not fear death. We don't, we don't fear, we're not supposed to be people who fear death. And Allah says, then, قُلْ إِنَّ الْمَوْتَ الَّذِي تَفِرُّونَ مِنْهُ This death that you are running away from, فَإِنَّهُ مُلَاقِيكُمْ It is going to catch you. You're going to meet it one day. ثُمَّ تُرَدُّونَ إِلَىٰ عَالَمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ And then you will return to the world of the seen and the unseen. And Allah will inform you of what you, what you used to do. Allah mentioned death in three ayat in this surah. How many, how many ayat in this surah? Eleven. So three out of eleven. Is, it, is that a big percentage, by the way? So it's as if death is like a, a very important topic here in this whole curriculum. Remembrance of death is something important for us. And you know the Prophet said, "Uthkuru hadim al-ladhat." Remember the destroyer of temptations. We are actually encouraged to go to the graveyard and remember death. This is something that we're, we're supposed to do. And you know, the more you're attached to the Qur'an, the more you're reminded of death and judgment day and all these things. And Allah is saying He knows us inside out. He knows us inside out. So this is a self-check for all of us, brothers and sisters. Just ask yourself, are you willing to you know, face death or are you afraid of death? If you are away from the Qur'an, then that fear of death will be there. If you are close to the Qur'an, then that fear of death will be, e that death will be easy for you to face. And you know, this reminds me of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said that a time will come when, our, when Islam will be attacked by nations and they will be having us for dinner, like on a dinner table. And then the Sahaba said, why Ya Rasulullah? Are we going to be small in number? The Prophet ﷺ said, no, 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 no. You're going to be huge in number. But you will be useless like that foam. You'll be just like that foam in the sea. No substance, just foam. And then the, the Sahaba said, But why, Ya Rasulullah? He said, Because of wahan. There will be wahan in your heart. The Sahaba asked, What is wahan, Ya Rasulullah? He said, Hubbud dunya wa karahiyatul maut. 
love of dunya and fear of death. That is unfortunately one of the major consequences of being away from Quran. You get attached to this dunya and you get attached to um, fearing death. Now we get into part number three. What's part number three? So we looked at the divine curriculum, we looked at the failed nation. Now it's a practical implementation of this formula, this curriculum. Okay? Through Jum'ah, the Friday prayers. Okay? Now, why did Allah shift the addressee from Bani Israel to Muslims all of a sudden? It's as if Allah is hinting that, you know what, the Jews, I gave them something, I entrusted them with a task, but they failed. Now Muslims, it's your turn. Show me what you can do. And hopefully you've learned from the mistakes of Bani Israel. This is exactly like the changing of the Qibla that happened in Surah Al-Baqarah. You know, the Muslims, they used to pray toward Jerusalem, right? And then they were ordered to change the Qibla to Mecca. That actually is a symbol of transfer of responsibility. The Jews failed, and therefore now the burden is on us. And you know what's amazing about Jumu'ah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in this, in this ayah, He said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, idha nudiya, Whenever the call of this remembrance to Allah is made, Rush towards the remembrance of Allah and leave the sale. That is better for you if only you knew. Let's talk about it in depth. Now this whole concept of Have you ever seen a Jum'ah masjid that's empty? Are there any flyers that are distributed for Jum'ah Salah? Is there any marketing effort? Any text messages? Any WhatsApp messages? Any banners that, you know what? Jum'ah, next week. Don't forget to attend. Have you ever seen that? But still people show up. Even those who don't pray five times a day show up in Jum'ah, subhanAllah. And subhanAllah, the rich and the poor show up to Jum'ah. The Arab and the non-Arab show up to Jum'ah. The practicing and non-practicing show up to Jum'ah. It's a divine system that Allah has put in place for us to practice this four-step formula. What does the khatib do in the Jum'ah? Or what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to recite the ayat of Allah, which will help purify the mind of the heart, step number two which also, also should have some sense of knowledge and sharing knowledge and application of that. All in Surah, Surah, uh, Salat al-Jum'ah, which is once a week. I mean, you know, we had to go through a lot of marketing to get like, I don't know, 150, 200 people here, right? We had a marketing budget and like SMS and all these things. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just one adhan. Everybody shows up and all the masjids are packed, subhanAllah. And you know, the community gets together, which is also very important, Yani. This is part of that purification process. Community gets together to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know, what's special about the Friday as, as a day, Yom al-Jum'ah, is that that was the date where Adam was created. That was the day that Adam enter, entered into Jannah. It was the same day that Adam left Jannah. And it is the day of... Judgment also. It'll be the day of judgment. Day of judgment will be on Friday. Okay, for sure. And so 
Does this ring a bell? All of a sudden, Allah is hinting to death again. Jum'ah is actually a rehearsal for Day of Judgment. In fact, you know the five daily prayers, those are mini rehearsals for the Day of Judgment because we pray in Jama'ah, right? The brothers especially. And then once a week, it's a bigger congregation. You do a rehearsal of Day of Judgment on a bigger scale. Then twice a year, we have Salatul Eid, which is an even bigger gathering. And then, you know, you have Hajj season, which is an annual gathering of the Muslims. And they actually dress up in coffins. They dress up in coffins. It's a rehearsal for the Day of Judgment. Contrast this with the Jews. The Jews are running away from death. But Muslims are trained to rehearse for death and for the Day of Judgment. SubhanAllah. And by the way, how many rak'ahs is Dhuhr prayers? Four. How many rak'ahs is Jummah prayers? Two. Some scholars say that the khutbah actually accounts for two rak'ah. So you know how it is, right? There's the khutbah and then there's the salah. So khutbah actually is equivalent to two rak'ah and then two rak'ahs of salah. Unfortunately, people today, they skip the khutbah and they come last in so that they could be first out. You know, lifeo, last in, first out from accounting, yeah? So that they could, you know, park the car in the easiest exit. They skip the khutbah and alhamdulillah, I made salat al-jum'ah. And the other tragedy is that the khatib releases sleeping gas sometimes. Some people, you know, get the best sleep of their life during Jummah, right? Because unfortunately, you know, the, the speakers are not trained to make it exciting and... Again, informing versus teaching. Having information is completely different than teaching itself. So Allah says, فَسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Rush to the remembrance of Allah. Inshallah, we'll be, we'll be praying in, uh, at around 6.50, or sorry, 5.50, so don't panic, okay? We don't have to start rushing towards Salah. We'll pray inshallah here. So, فَسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Rush to the remembrance of Allah. You know what happens when the Imam comes and gives the khutbah? The first thing he says is, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, right? What happens, and we've learned it from the hadith, is that the angels are actually recording the names of everyone who enters the Salah for the khutbah. And the moment the Imam comes, the angels close the books. Registration is closed. And the angels close the books and they sit and listen to the khutbah. So everyone who comes after the khutbah or during the khutbah, they actually miss out on that reminder. That once a week reminder they're missing out on. And so Allah says, فَسْعَوْ إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ And what are the two surahs that are commonly recited by the Imam on Jum'ah? Surah Al-A'la and Surah Al-Ghashiyah. Look at the words that Allah put in these two surahs. فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعْتِ الذِّكْرَىٰ Allah is telling the khatib, remind them. And in Surah Al-Ghashiyah, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ فَذَكِّرْ is repeated twice in these surahs. And Allah also says in Surah Al-A'la, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّىٰ Also reminding us, the purpose of Jum'ah is to purify ourselves. Okay? So Allah says, وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعَ Very interesting. Why did Allah choose bay' instead of the word tijara, right? There's two different meanings now. Tijara means business. Bay specifically means sales. Now, just to give an example, when you run a business, there's different departments, right? There's the HR, there's the accounting, there's someone who's, you know, uh, in charge of operations and whatever. Allah is saying, Darul bay, leave the sale. Why? Because, you know, the person in charge, for example, of HR, right? When it's time for Jummah prayer, 
Is he going to be ex excited to continue his job or is he going to want to go to Jummah? Go to Jummah because he hates his job, right? It's like HR, dealing with headache of people, right? But the salesman, imagine yourself, you're the sales, you own a grocery shop and you see this guy coming with a full trolley of like goods that he wants to buy. And this is like at least 50 dinars worth of goods. That's the sale. That's the moment of the sale. Allah is saying at that moment of the sale, if it's time for Jummah, you leave that sale. It's tempting to stay, right? But Allah is saying, what I have is better than that sale. Leave the sale. And when the salah is over, then spread yourselves. Okay? Spread yourself in the land to, inshallah, benefit from its blessings. It's not a time to be lazy. Unfortunately, Friday has become the time for us to be lazy and relax. Allah is saying, فَانْتَشِرُوا Go and, and seek the blessing of Allah. Don't say, thank God, it's Friday. Time to chill. Okay? And Allah says, وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ Allah is also teaching us the balance between dunya and deen. Okay? وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ There's nothing wrong with earning money and earning a livelihood. وَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا But when you do earn a living, remember Allah a lot. How does that happen? That happens through a high-impact khutbah. Okay, when the khatib gives you a high-impact, really powerful khutbah, then the effect is going to last even after the khutbah, right? That's وَذْكُرُ kathira. لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ And then the last ayah, Allah says, وَإِذَا رَأَوْ تِجَارَةً أَوْ لَهْوًا إِنْ فَضُّوا إِلَيْهَا وَتَرَكُوكَ قَائِمًا And when they saw business and distraction, إِنْ فَضُّوا إِلَيْهَا They were just, they dispersed into it. وَتَرَكُوكَ قَائِمًا And they left you standing. There's a story behind this. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ, during the time of who? During, time, during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ was standing, giving a khutbah. And a trade caravan from Sham was coming by. And you know how like trade caravans, they have some music and drums and stuff. So some businessmen who were listening to the khutbah of Rasulullah, they thought that this is a good deal. The caravan is here, I want to go do, close some business transactions. And so they left the khutbah to go and make those business deals and then hopefully come back before the khutbah is over. And some, you know, faltu people, you know, people who have nothing better to do, they also followed. They didn't have any business to do, but they just wanted to go and enjoy that, you know, the carnival. And they left the Prophet ﷺ standing. And the hadith says that only 12 people remained in the salah. Subhanallah. You see how this is relevant with the overall theme of the surah? These people were distracted from what? From tijara and law. And you've all been to like the autumn fair, right? In Bahrain? This is actually an actual picture of the autumn fair. The guy who sells the, the jalabiyat and stuff. Sisters know what I'm talking about, right? So, um, Allah is saying that they saw tijara and lahu. Tijara is making money and lahu is the entertainment. It's that like, that jumping castle. A lot of people go to the autumn fair for the jumping castle and for the food and for the shawarmas, right? They don't go for the business. But primarily, who, was the, who were the people who got distracted from the khutbah? The business people. Okay, remember this now. In fadlu means breaking, like breaking the glass. You know how like, if, if like 20 people get up all of a sudden and start walking out, what's going to happen? It's going to break the silence and it's going to be crazy. I'm going to be disturbed. That's what they did with the Prophet 
They started leaving and the Prophet's whole khutbah got broken as if shattered glass. Allah is saying, قُلْ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ مِنَ اللَّهْوِ وَمِنَ التِّجَارَةِ Tell them that what Allah has is better than lahu and tijara. What's really interesting is in the beginning of the ayah, Allah mentions tijara first and then lahu. Now Allah flipped the two. He mentioned that what Allah has is better than lahu and tijara. You saw that? Why do you think that happened? Is it by chance? In that specific incident, tijara was the primary reason for leaving. But we are living in times where what is the number one distraction from Quran for us, brothers and sisters? Is it entertainment or business? Entertainment. And therefore Allah switched the order as a lesson for us. And then business and your work becomes next. The number one or two top two excuses that people have for not reading Quran and not understanding Quran and spending time with the Quran is I'm too busy with work. I'm too busy with business. I'm too busy entertaining myself. But entertainment is the number one cause, right? And so here Allah is, you see how Allah knows us inside out, by the way? You see how real the Quran is? Allah knows what's, what's up with us. He knows what, where the problem is. And He's addressing it at the end of the surah. Entertainment is our problem. And you know the French word for entertainment is actually la distraction. Distraction. They got it right. The French got it right, finally. Right? Okay? Literally, entertainment is distraction. And if you look at these stats, we spent, if you look at the age of someone who's 63, right? 27 years of your life are going to go into sleeping. 10 years of your life are going to go into work. 10 years of your life are going to go into sitting in front of the TV. 6 years of your life are going to be gone online. And then, you know, the remaining seven will be either in the bathroom or on the road or having some meal. Okay? So, what are your priorities? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And you know, Allah is hinting here also to something else. What was another nation who had a holiday, but they favored trade over that ritual? The Sabbath, right? The Saturday, Yawm Sept, Ashab Sept. What happened to them? They started playing games. They were attached to dunya. Right? They wanted to make some money. So they put the nets on a, on a Friday in hope for some money uh, once that holiday is over. So Allah is also again hinting to us, the Jews, that they played these games. They were distracted from that holiday because of trade. Are you going to be distracted also? And by the way, for the Jews, it was a whole day that they had to be con controlling themselves. How long is Jum'ah for us, the khutbah? The khutbah, Jum'ah and the salah all together, maximum one hour, right? If it's like a really boring khatib who like talks a lot, one hour max. Allah is saying, give me that one hour only. The rest of the day is for you. Subhanallah. I end with this hadith of the Prophet where he said that there will come a time when this nation will be copying the Bani Israel so identically that just like the one slipper is identical to its pair we'll be following the footsteps of the Banu Israel. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned us from this. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, let's summarize the lessons we learned. Number one, inshallah, we appreciate the Qur'an from now on. Okay? 
And that is one of the primary reasons why we do these events. Why we have this Quran for Family series. The whole point of this is for us to get together. It's kind of like an alternative to, to Jummah, by the way. If you think about it, right? Uh, because most of you are non-Arabs. You go to the khutbah, you have no idea what's happening. So that purification never happens. This is kind of like an alternative. Inshallah, in the future, we'll have khutbahs in English and in Urdu and Hindi. We're, we're planning on working on that, inshallah. So number one, we need to start appreciating the Qur'an. Number two, recite and purify. Number three, <coughs> make sure your knowledge is transferred into action. That is what we call wisdom. And number four, the Jummah prayers, the weekly reminder. I'm sorry that this talk today was like a bit tough, I know. Okay? And I told you from the beginning, it's a warning for the believers. But at the same time, you know, the Qur'an does this. Like, how many of you attended Surah Al-Rahman? Okay, so if you remember Surah Rahman was nice, it was talking about Jannah, and it was like exciting and fun. This is a bit like kind of depressing, right? But this is the balance we have to maintain sometimes, you know, just like the, the wings of a bird. Sometimes you have hope of Jannah, sometimes you have fear of, you know, the day of judgment. And I am, alhamdulillah, I'm going to end on a positive note, actually. I am very, very hopeful. Inshallah, you know, after seeing this crowd here today, we have mothers here, we have youth, mashallah, we have fathers, we have the whole family coming together just to listen to a two-hour dars of Qur'an, just to understand a surah of the Qur'an, just to connect with the Qur'an. This is hope. You know, you sacrificed your weekends to come here today, inshallah, you'll do in the future also. But this is what we need to spread. So homework for all of you, okay? I'm leaving you with homework. Go home. Share the lessons of this surah with your loved ones, with your families. And this way you'll remember it, inshallah. Okay? And another homework is next event that we announce, inshallah, we're going to do this regularly. You need to bring in more people. Okay? We need to revive this sunnah. We need to revive this curriculum. And inshallah, through the Quran, all of us will inshallah uh, benefit each other. Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant. I just like to remind you all to give a round of applause to the, all the volunteers who got together to make this event happen. My job is very easy, it's just coming here and talk and leave, Danny. But so much effort has gone into it, and all of them are youth. That's the hope of the future, inshallah. فإذا وعى القرآن حين الآن